Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Financial Flex with Lex. Last week, I needed a little break and honestly some time to catch up, but I'm back and hopefully this week's episode will encourage you to go after your financial goals despite what your mind may think. On today's episode, we have Champagne. She is a licensed cosmetologist and California native. In just 19 months, Champagne was able to pay off $36,000 in debt, which included credit cards, an auto loan, and student loans. Now, just to clarify, at the time of our conversation, Champagne had paid off all of her active debts, but she still has one debt that is in collections. She's currently working towards paying that off. I do just want to make that very clear. We talk about the horrors of payday loans, why motivation can't be the only factor when paying off your loans, and what the term affordability really means. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review and don't forget to subscribe. Well, let's get on with the show. My name is Champagne Jones. I'm a 28 year old college graduate and cosmetologist from Inglewood, California. Um, I really enjoy exercising and skating and shopping, even though I don't do that as much. I do enjoy what I do for a living, which is styling beautiful people, their hair. Honestly, I used to dance professionally. I've done a tour, a couple dance gigs, but I don't dance anymore. I'm pretty fun, outgoing. Uh, I am reserved, but if I'm around a lot of people, like, you would think that I'm super, super, super friendly, and that's not always the case. So, that's a little bit about me. Nothing too crazy. Growing up, how was money discussed in your household, and how has it affected the way you handle your money? So, growing up, um, I grew up in a single-parent home. My dad was present, but they did not live together. Um, And, frankly, I feel like Money was almost taboo. Like, I didn't know growing up that we had government assistance. My mom had Fiction 8. She was deemed disabled very young for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't really know what finances looked like. I know that I never wanted for anything. I know that we all had toothpaste, food. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. all the bare minimums were always there. I, I never didn't have anything so I just thought we had money to be honest um I would hear my I would hear my mom talk about like always having a little stash but she never told me what that looked like how to get there how much that was where it would be if there was an emergency you know what I mean so like it was kind of like stay in a child's place It, it wasn't it definitely wasn't something that was super open um so the way that that has affected how I handled my money at one point in time is I was very uncomfortable with discussing finances with other people. The lack of communication and openness about money is um, very common in the black community from what I understand. Um, It's super hush-hush for you to have any government assistance, super hush-hush for you to be doing, like, if you're doing well, what got you to doing well, like, it just seems so private. Mm-hmm. So now I try my best to be more open about finances, and that's exactly what led me to make the Instagram account. It's still very challenging for me because I'm kind of letting people into my bank account in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm still vague, 
like I, if you, if you like pay attention to my captions or what I do share, it's still very vague as far as amount, just because I don't want anybody counting my money. Yeah. <laughs> and I honestly, let me disclaim this, y'all. I am not balling, okay? So if anybody thinks Champagne Bank account is popping, it is not. At what point when you were growing up did you realize, like, hey, wait, maybe we don't have as much money as I think that we do? Um, As I got older, my mom did become more transparent, but she is a bit dramatic, so, like, I never believed anything was as severe as she said it was, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I want to say when I I started to make – when I first started to make money as a dancer professionally and the, uh, like, you know, the one event, one gig, one job amount started to increase, mm-hmm. it definitely changed my perspective about money altogether. Um, as I started to bring my own income in, um, I had to go with my mom to the offices, like the county buildings or whatever they are, to go do that annual check-in. And they start asking questions, and I'm like, oh, so you're reporting that you make this amount. You know, you have to come check in with these people. If at any point that you get an increase in income, you switch jobs, you lose a job, like anything regarding your income, you have to check in. That meant me, too. So as I became, you know, my career was was advancing at a rapid pace. I said, mine, you're going to have to get off of Section 8 because – I'm, one, not going to tell them how much money I make, but that means I have to tell you. And that just that just really made it like, oh, wow, we really don't talk about money. You know, it's so private. It's so hush-hush. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, you know, at that time, I'm like, I don't want to be paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to have a whole bunch of debt. I, I had made it up in my mind that I was going to pay my student loans off, but obviously... It didn't happen then. Mm-hmm. It happened years later. Years. <laughs> years later. And I started to pick up some of the habits that I saw my mom have. Like when after tour and the money was gone um, or felt like it was gone, I started even getting payday loans. I'm like, this is a learned behavior. Like I had no idea anything about payday loans until I heard my mom and then my friend's mom mention it and I'm like oh I could do that perfect like even if I don't really need the money it's like oh perfect it's to hold me over so I can have some cash in my pocket it just kind of it's kind of like a ripple effect that's just yeah that's just it like it kind of was a ripple effect you start to see what other people do to get by and you're like exposed to it some people stay away from it but I was somebody who wants to try it out like it wasn't that big you don't owe that much money back to them but it's still not a good habit. Yeah, payday loans I hear are like the worst just because the interest rates on them are just like astronomical. They're just like, they're so large. Um, yeah, out loans. here, if you get a loan for of 245, I believe it's 245, and you pay them back 300. Wow. So you have Pretty to- Pretty high. Yeah. And, and I, I had a, um, that's actually the loan that's in, um, collection. My last loan that I have is not active. Mm-hmm. It is in collection. Um, it's one of those, um, what do they call them? It wasn't a payday loan. It's one of the longer term loans. Okay. So you want to know what the interest rate is? Oh gosh, I'm scared. A hundred, a hundred 
34%. Wow. I really wish I was exaggerating. I really wish I was lying. I will send you a screenshot of it. Like, seriously. 134%. I had already paid them over $4,000. My loan is higher. Like, the balance is higher than what I borrowed still. Wow. Because of because so of that interest rate? Into, yes. And had I let it go into collections earlier, I they wouldn't have got one, wouldn't have gotten as much money for me. And it's not accruing any more interest at this point. Mm-hmm. You get what I mean? Yeah. It's just a, a set amount that they want now. But that's a lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> do you think you'll do you think you'll ever be able to just settle settle that for like a few cents on the dollar? Just be like, hey, I have two thousand dollars, take it. So the loan amount is like twenty nine seventy. I'm sorry, balance is like twenty nine seventy. Mm-hmm. Um so my intention is not to pay the full amount. Got it. I do plan to settle. Um, that is the last thing on my list. It, it was not high priority, but now that I'm kind of like ready to move to the next level and my my finance journey, I'm ready to like, I actually was going to do this when we got off the phone, just kind of crunch numbers. Like, what do I feel comfortable offering? How long do I want, you know, to take to actually put that money to the side? Mm-hmm. And you should never, when you're trying to settle, you should never call the company until you actually have that money in hand. Because um, they can always change their mind, and they're gonna put a limit on it. They're gonna either tell you, "Okay, well, we'll settle right now," and if you don't have it right now, they're gonna—it's not gonna be a valid agreement. If that makes sense, yeah. So that, don't that call sense. to settle if you don't have the money. Let's talk a little bit about your debt-free journey. So, are you current? So, outside from that one debt um, that's in collections. Are you debt free, or do you still have? Yeah. A, okay, that's no, awesome. No, all, all my all my active debts are are gone. They're paid. They're zero balance. All that's in green right now. So let's talk about your debt free journey. When do you remember the day where you decided, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for real, and kind of like talk us through what that journey was like for you. Yeah, of course. So October of 2017. Um, was definitely the that breaking point. This loan that I had, I had stopped putting money in my bank account because this auto pay is going to come out of here, and this auto pay is going to come out here. I turned all my auto pays off except that that loan. That's when it finally. That's when I finally let it go into collection. Like that's when I decided I was not going to pay them anymore. I had talked to a couple people about um, how they've handled dealing with a payday loan place. So long story short, that particular company was, you know, constantly trying to force payment. And so you know what that led to, overdraft after overdraft after overdraft. I had at least, it was like 500, I think, like 500 something, 500 something dollars in overdraft fees. I was able to reverse maybe like minus everything but like $70 maybe, something like that. And it took some diligence, girl. But I was very intentional about it. I said, when this gets clear, I'm going to close this bank account, start fresh, open a new one, you know, not putting anything on auto pay. And so in the beginning, that's really what I was doing. I was just trying to make sure I got in the green. Everything was current. And then I took everything to the next level in January. So January of 2018, I decided. 
decided I'm going to start tithing. I'm going to do the ninety day tithing challenge, and I'm going to see what comes of it. I was able to pay off, I think it was like 1200 in debt that in those 90 days. I put together my emergency fund as well, and it was just like, this is unreal. So I literally have tithed every single week, even during my journey since then. In May, I decided I wanted to... I wanted to save four thousand dollars is what I said. I was like, boom, I could just save I had forty weeks left, I remember it. Or maybe it was it was April. It was April. I had forty weeks left in the year. I said I'm gonna save a hundred dollars a week. Perfect. I'm gonna have four four thousand dollars, right? And then that got boring because it got easy. Like, especially once I had already gotten some debts down, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Okay, let's see if I can do ten thousand dollars by the end of the year and then you know, that kind of got easy. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I think I'm going to pay my car off this year. So in May, I decided that I was going to pay the rest of my car back. And that 40-week plan was so intense. Like, I was, that's when I started the finance focus page. I said, I have to document this. You know, I'm going to write a book about this. And I feel like it would be great to kind of let people come with me and like go through the whole book thing, and if it turns into speaking, and it turns into <laughs> speaking and seminars or whatever the case might be, people can see where I started at. Mm-hmm. There will be evidence of what it looked like in the beginning. How did you stay motivated? To be one hundred percent honest with you, I like for anybody that's listening, motivation goes away. It is something that you work on every single day. You will not be motivated. You have to do it anyway. That's where discipline comes in. Discipline is always supposed to be in place because motivation goes away. So for me, having the plan, having to check in with myself every single week, having the finance focus page, people asking, I got people involved, obviously. People are like, what are you working on? What are you doing? Haven't heard from you. How is it going? That was motivating for sure. And then to think like as I started to make more money and generate more clients, and pay more stuff off, I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see what it feels like to take home a thousand dollars in a week, for example. Yeah. If I if I could go home with a thousand dollars in a week, wow, what does that look like? What am I going to be able to do that I couldn't do before? Because mm-hmm. right now, if I'm saving three hundred to six hundred dollars a week, imagine what I could do with that three hundred to six dollars, six hundred dollars a week, and it didn't have to go to somebody else and it didn't belong to somebody else so you've mentioned a few times about how you were able to like increase uh the number of clients you you received at the salon was there anything that you were doing differently when you were on your debt-free journey that you weren't before in regards to work to be 100 percent honest i believe in the law of attraction and like thoughts becoming things so what I believe happened is I was so focused and determined to pay my car off last year that I was like, I am going to work however long I have to. I'm accepting, not every client, because all money isn't good money for sure, but I'm going to constantly post every single day, be authentic, showcasing what I'm doing. Yeah, there were some days that I missed. But when you set a goal around another goal, you'd be surprised 
how is the ripple effect? Yeah. So in order for me to hit that goal, I have to make more money. I have to get more clients. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So just focusing so greatly on the bigger goal, it just led to smaller things happening and transforming as well. Yeah, no, definitely. So, you know, the year 2019 is about to be over, which is kind of wild. Um, so right. what are your financial goals for 2020? What are you hoping to accomplish next year? So, I actually, this was the one question that I was a little shy to talk about. I'm gonna, I'm just going to put it out there right now. I want to bring in six figures next year. Okay, that's awesome. Um, yes. I would like to bring in six figures. I intend to bring in six figures. But more importantly, next year, I want to help one to five people. Mm-hmm. Very actively help. And one of those people are my mom. Aww. We're going to start this year. We're going to start. Um, my mom, she doesn't spend a, a lot, but she spends often. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's a bargain shopper. Don't get me wrong. It's the only binary that's on sale. 99 cent queen. All of that. But when you do that a lot, it adds up. Investing is going to be my, like, learning focus. It's one thing to generate revenue and income and whatever, but how can I make some of this money work for me? And Mm -hmm. so I can retire my mom or, hell, retire myself (laughs) and purchase a home and all this stuff. Like, I personally am not interested in purchasing now. I don't think that a home is as should be as praised as, as black people praise it. Like, it's really not, until you own it, it's not an asset, period. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of am listening to some people who have done it a little differently because I feel like what we've been taught is just wrong. We've just been the blind leading the blind. <laughs> and I, I just want to try something different, try to see what other people are doing that are that are going the no house route for example so living in california do you think when if and when you do decide to purchase a home do you think that it'll still be in california or do you think that you would move to a part of the country where it's where housing is a bit more affordable absolutely not i don't see here's the thing about affordability that is relative one i live in inglewood I don't live far from the um, stadium that they're building or the rail system that they're building over here. Live fairly close to the airport, and they are not going to run me out of here. Affordability is in your head. So I don't plan, when I purchase, I'm not sure that I'll purchase in Inglewood per se, but I don't plan to not have a house in California. And if I do, it wouldn't be my primary home. You get what I mean? It might be like, property to own and fix up rent out whatever the case might be but my first home for myself I intend to purchase in California can you can you kind of explain more when you say that like affordability is in your head yes I believe that people live above their means okay and so what you can afford is based on like what you made up frankly it's it's it, you you decide, I believe. I believe you are in control of the definition of affordability. Your perspective of affordability is on you. Yeah, no, you make a good point. I never I never really thought about like affordability being kind of like an individual personal thing. I kind of I've always seen it as more of like a collective 
Like, yeah. if, if if the whole can afford it, then it's affordable. But if only two or three right. people can afford it, then maybe it's not so affordable. So that's an interesting yeah, take on and, it. And, and truthfully, on the grand scheme of affordability, I agree with you. But living in California and in Inglewood specifically with the gentrification that's happening and being, like I said, on this journey on the other side of what it looks like, like, I don't find value in purchasing a lot of unnecessary things anymore simply because I had to be so disciplined in order to make this happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. So now my my perspective of affordability has changed. Just because you have the cash doesn't mean you should buy it and doesn't mean you can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Just because you can make the payment doesn't mean you can't afford it either. So just these, you know, these little nuances and and thought processes that millionaires or people who are wealthier than me have listened to them and processing it, it's like, oh, that is actually true. That's so true. Yeah. I'm not I'm not building my finances for the majority, but I do agree with you on the grander scheme that yes, of people people we do tend to measure affordability by what the majority can purchase. Mm-hmm, definitely. If you could go back in time and give your 18-year-old self advice on, <laughs> on how to handle money, what would you tell yourself? So when I was 18, I was a sophomore in college. Um, I I was finishing my, I got my cosmetology license at 18. And that was, so now that's almost 10 years ago in March, it'll be 10 years that I've been licensed. <laughs> um, and I honestly would tell myself, Champagne, when you're making money, you need to just pay the bills. <laughs> pay the bills. Like, literally. Don't let anything go in the red. Don't let, don't, don't be late. If you can, pay things much earlier. Pay, pay like your insurances in bulk. Um, I would say when financial aid came and you had some money, you should have put a little bit of that in an account that was occurring some interest and, you know, that was earning money for you. I would just say, honestly, pick, pick up a book about finances because there's nobody that's, that's around you right now that knows what's in these books. There's nobody that's going to actually be able to teach you this stuff from personal experience. So you knowing that, you have to go find it if you want to be in a different situation than they are. What is one advice that you would give someone who's listening right now? They're wanting to get their finances in order, but they just don't know how or even where to start. What is one piece of advice that you would give them? Oof. I have two pieces. I know you said one, but I'm a Virgo and I like to do things my way. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. So so one piece of advice is whether you think you can or you cannot, you are correct. It it starts in your mind. That's where it starts. It literally starts as a thought. Then you have to develop a plan, right? You get very clear on what you owe, who you owe, when is it due, how much is it, interest rates, all that. Get as detailed as you possibly can with what you know because then you can learn about it, right? Get in the green, get caught up caught up on whatever is past due, and go from there. 
don't try to attack everything at one time. I do believe that the dead snowball is important because you get small wins and then you're not overwhelmed trying to pay everything at one time. I don't know what makes us. I used to, I tried to do that and it was like the worst. I'm like, okay, I can put fifty dollars here, a hundred dollars there. You're stretching your money so thin, and it's not getting anywhere. So the one is it all starts with a thought. Whether you think so or you or you think you can't, you were right. And then that second part was just to get very clear on who you owe, what you owe, make a plan, and you have to stick to it. That's it. Well, in the grand scheme, I want to tell people, listen, there is somebody who owes more money than you. Yeah. Literally. There is somebody in a much worse situation. They would love to switch credit scores with you or credit reports with you. So... Don't compare yourself. You made those decisions to get where you are and you can decide to get somewhere else.